All righty, we're ready to study God's Word, right? All right, get your Bibles out. Turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be sharing some things from Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, here in just a moment. It is Thanksgiving Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit about gratefulness from a little different angle than perhaps we've shared in times past. Not just from an etiquette standpoint, but I want to share, hopefully, from a spiritual standpoint as well. And when it's all said and done, uh, you'll, get, you'll get the point. I entitled the message this morning, The Spiritual Side of Manners, or I'm Through with Rude. The Spiritual Side of Manners, or I'm Through with Rude. You have your Bibles, Luke 17. I want to read a few verses, a familiar portion of Scripture, I think, to many of you. We'll begin with verse 11. It's a circumstance in the life of Jesus. Luke 17 and 11, we read, Now it happened as he, meaning Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. The spiritual side of manners. Now, I mentioned to you last week just by way of information that I had opportunity to uh, have a meeting with a journalist from the Post and Courier. And uh, we had a great conversation. Really, it was just a get-to-know-you kind of uh, gathering. We were just going to grab a cup of coffee. Uh, We'd interacted via the email on several occasions. And so he had invited me to have coffee just so we could personally touch base and, and, and begin to get to know one another. And so we talked about a, a number of topics. Usually they were cultural topics. And at the end of the conversation, he had mentioned that he was writing an article, which actually uh, was on the front page. I had no idea it was going to be on the front page of the Post and Courier. Uh, what was it? This past Sunday. And um, it was on manners. And that he actually used some of our conversation at that uh, coffee table and put it within that front page article. And I was, I was uh, certainly uh, honored that he would do that. I had no idea that that much would be written in there. But the question that started at that table started my mind spinning because the question that came up was not so much our manners just cultural, but our manners spiritual. Are they spiritual? The answer to that is yes. Now, for some of you, I guess you could leave right now. I mean, we just answered the question. Are manners spiritual? Yes, indeed they are, and they're probably more spiritual than any of us have been led to believe. I found it fascinating. For those of you that like to do this, 
go to that article on the website, the Post and Courier website, and, uh, and get to the place where they posted that there on the internet, and then go down and begin to read all the thread comments that occur underneath that particular manner article. It is amazing to listen to people. In fact, I notice when they post some of these things, like it's like at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking, what in the world are you doing up at 2 and 3 in the morning? I have my ideas, but we'll just leave that alone right now. But it's amazing to me how even in responding, people, people just sort of forget the place of manners. And so here in this particular text, we see the familiar account of these 10 lepers that are being healed by Jesus. And I love this passage of Scripture because it's probably um, the best place you can refer people to with regards to progressive healing. You know, I love miraculous, dramatic, spontaneous healing. But it says here that when Jesus spoke health over them, that they went their way, and as they were walking, their healing began to manifest. And I believe there's a point to be made with regards to the progression of, of healing as well. But it was interesting to me that as I was beginning to look at this and just think some more about it, I thought to myself, well, Jesus, we know as a healer, he spoke healing over these lepers that had asked them. We know that leprosy uh, was uh, a disease that was associated spiritually with sinfulness. And so we can surmise that these 10 had been outcasts within at least the Jewish community, if not the whole community at large. And I also suspect that as Jesus spoke healing over them and said, go show yourselves to the priests, that probably he was sending them as healed individuals back to the priests in order to one more time sort of give it to the religious system. I suspect he was healing them, saying, go back, show yourself to the religious system, to to the leaders of that system, and let them see with their own eyes the power of God that is being manifested. And so as all of this is happening... In the midst of their walking, there was a Samaritan that was in the group that suddenly was quickened and he turns around and he goes back to Jesus in order to say thanks for what he'd done. And as I began to read the text again, it just appeared to me that Jesus was sort of, I realize the Bible's not wired for sound, but, but he looks to be just a tad bit put out. He says, well, weren't there 10 of you and only one comes back? I mean, how do you how do you interpret that? I mean, it seems to me like he's saying I healed 10 and only one comes back to say thanks. So obviously, I think it's a legitimate point to be able to say that perhaps Jesus was a tad bit irked at their rudeness. Now, it's a great story. It's got a lot of interesting points that we could underscore. But the one that stands out is the fact that here is the Samaritan. He's not even one of God's, at that time as they perceived it, one of God's chosen people. But a Samaritan, who's not only not a Jew, but he's got leprosy. A Samaritan. And he gets the place of manners and gratefulness. None of the religious folk really got it, but he got it. Those that were the chosen people, the Jews, they were God's people. They just went on their merry way. But the one who was not connected in that fashion, he was the one that knew he needed to go back and say thank you. Now, the question that arises to me is why? 
why? Let's just start with those that went on their merry way. Why were they rude? Why be rude? Could it be that they felt like they deserved it? Could it be that this whole situation one more time underscored the place of pride and ingratitude of the Jews of that era to the work of their Messiah? What might that say to us today? Because you understand today, you and I, even though I would suspect all of us or most of us are Gentiles, we're still the seed of Abraham, according to Galatians, by faith. You understand that today we are God's people who receive the benefits of serving the Lord. I mean, what might the Spirit of the Lord want to underscore in our hearts here in the 21st century? Well, let me suggest some things. I think just by way of observing that we live in a rude and uncivil time. It just seems like simple manners no longer exist. Think about it. Just manners like shaking hands. How do you shake hands? I mean, people, you put your hand out. I've had people look at me like, what in the world? What about holding doors open for people? What about saying please and thank you? Hey, let, let, let me say, even suggest something radical, that even when you're at a restaurant and you have a server saying please and thank you, how about excuse me, standing when a woman comes to the table? How about yes, sir, no, ma'am, instead of what or yeah. Hey, here's one. How about waiting to eat until everyone is seated at the table? Now I'm meddling, right? How about just waiting until grace is spoken? The prayers are prayed. I realize it can get uncomfortable if I just go down the list of manners here, but I, I think I'm making the point that we live in a civil, uncivil, and rude time. I started thinking about all the different demonstrations of rudeness. I thought about celebrity rudeness. Have you ever looked and just watched celebrities, whether it be on television or whether it be on your homepage websites? I mean, I, I, I mean, they like people paying for their movies. They just don't want to rub shoulders with them. They just don't want to talk. They don't want to sign autographs, despite the fact that we're the ones that usually pay the millions and millions so they can get to do what it is they do. Don't get near me. You're the people. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We're the ones that actually pay you. I'm going to say this. It wasn't on my notes. But the NBA is going to get a rude lesson in the coming months. Millionaires, multimillionaires arguing with billionaires over who gets the better cut. I hope some of those NBA players get the chance to go out and live the real life. I guarantee you it will change everyone's negotiating strategy. There's media rudeness. I mean, I'm friends with numerous people in the media. But do you understand that oftentimes the whole, the whole uh, 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 affirmation and things that are, are lifted up in media is how rude can you be? In fact, their, their shtick is cutting people off, not letting them give a complete answer, inciting arguments, rudeness. 
I don't know, many of you may not realize this, but years ago, they had a place that they called finishing schools. Finishing schools were places that you would send your kids, predominantly. And at this finishing school, they would be taught cultural protocol to the kids. In other words, they they would learn there how it was that you were to function formally or with manners civilly in society. Now, years ago, uh, when we were serving at a church in Spartanburg, it was a large church, and I think it was a great idea. The pastor's wife there, I think, had a great idea. She started a short program uh, for the teenagers to help them understand proper protocol and manners especially with regards to table, table manners and eating and these sorts of things. And and the interesting part was, is that she looked at us and she said this, if we believe that we're raising up a generation that will go into the halls of kings and presidents and they will go to state dinners and they will function in formal avenues of influence in society, you don't want them to have their elbows on the table slurping their soup from the bowl. So where will they learn this? And she, so she started sort of this, this spiritual finishing school to help this generation begin to understand how and what could be eaten with their hands. You know, some foods are not meant to be eaten with your hands. I know for some, you say, I, you know, you eat your vegetables, you eat your mashed potatoes, you get your gravy, you get everything with your hands. I, I'm just helping you right now. If you go somewhere formal... The spoon, the fork, and the knife are required for eating in certain locations. You you put your napkin on your seat. You keep your elbows off the table. These are manners. Manners are important. Now, it's not just the world that sloshed, uh, you know, has sloshed over their uncivilness, sloshing over into the life of people, but the church as well. We've kind of lost our sense of civility and manners as well. I hate to say it, we're a rude generation. It's affected everyone. Now, now, are you ready? Are you ready for God to talk to you? Because Jesus, listen, Jesus here is looking at some folks and he's a little bit twisted because they just didn't have the manners to come back and say thank you. So when we're talking about manners and we're talking about it even in the life of God's people in the church, we're beginning to to underscore some things that aren't just civility to one another, it's actually civility towards God as well. So are you ready? Come on now. Say, I'm ready. Come on. Come, we're going to help you. Let's, let's try this. Let's try timeliness. Wow. Well, you say, well, why, why would that be important? Because you understand... I was telling the men, and I think the men did a great job, by the way, when we went to Band of Brothers, but we were just sort of training the men, letting them know that 32 people were going to go to Band of Brothers. The bus was going to leave at 5.30. If you weren't there at 5.30, I don't know how you were going to get to Pittsburgh, but it wasn't going to be on that bus. You say, really, you wouldn't wait? Why wouldn't you wait for one? My question is, why would one make 31 wait? See, that's what timeliness is all about. Timeliness isn't about your schedule. It's about what perhaps you're doing to someone else's schedule. I mean, we've got to teach our kids. We've got to teach our kids what it means. And you've heard me teach this on numerous times. We've got to teach our kids what it means to be in the house of God. 
I remember when I went with my parents, and, and Tracy mentioned this morning about when Clayton went with us. I remember that when my kids came to church, they had to learn to sit in church. Now, we do a pretty good job here. And I do this not because there's this great egregious problem. I do this just to remind us. I sat there, and some of you grew up like this. I sat under threat of death. I remember my mom grabbing my arm and her fingernails were like incredible. And I mean, I was, I mean, I think I still got a scar on this arm from one of those times. Now, why is, why would this be a part of manners? It's because it's here. Listen to me. It's because I know you love your kids and we really love your kids. But the truth is, we don't love them so much when we can't hear or participate in what's happening. Are you following me? I remember when Clay, I, it was, I remember the showdown. He had to have been about four. It was a Sunday night service. We brought Clay in and we set him up. We had pillows for him. We had coloring pages. We brought the 64 box, you know, of crayons in there. He had cars. He had trucks. I mean, it was like we had to have a wheelbarrow to get him in there that night. But we were going to get him so we could, we could groom him for success. And it was just, it was the night that it was going to come down to all of this. And I had to get up with him. He was four years old. And I took him out four different times. And, and, and just had, what did you do when you took him out? Did you talk to him? No! There are repercussions for disobeying authority. And that's why God padded certain areas of their body. I know I'll have some people say, well, we don't, we don't believe in that. Well, then you're not being biblical. Now, I'm not saying abuse them. I never said abuse. I never, I never said hit. I, I, you know, we, we use the term beat. But the truth of the matter is we, we spank them. It's amazing how they'll straighten up. I had to do it four times that night. He was a strong-willed young man. And... Uh, in fact, one of our, our minister friends, he, had, he was having difficulty with one of his children one day. And, uh, and they were sitting, the wife and, and, and the child were sitting uh, far from him. And, and, the, and the mom wrote something down on a card, folded it over, gave it to the child and said, go hand this to your daddy. And so he took the note and, you know, he was happy because he got, the, you know, so he handed it to his daddy and daddy opened it up and it said this, please spank me. Hey, and my son, no joke, he was, he was one of the stories that you've heard through the years as he's going out that fourth time hollering, everyone pray for me, you know? So, I mean, he, he literally did that. He literally did that. You know, it's interesting. It's just, it's just interesting to me because I've often said this, that, that I, have, I have lost more CD players at church than you can imagine. People apparently borrow our CD players and they never come back. Now, now, I think the Bible calls that thievery. But I would at least call it rude. Rude. We throw trash on the floor. It's amazing to me how people, we, we need to have a class in flushing toilets. Just thought I'd mention that. Oh, this is the other class. This is the sequel to, to Flushing Toilets 101. This is Turn Off Sink 102. 
Training to speak respectfully to adults. Using manners. Can I just share with you, I've, it's interesting to me through the years, I, uh, working at a large church for so many years, we had a lot of interesting Christian celebrities come through, and you would be amazed at what the demands are in order to come minister. I'm just a servant for the people. And well, it's amazing what you need to come serve us. You need special water. You need a special room. You need uh, special mints. You need special fruit. Uh, we had one group come in, and uh, they actually stayed at a hotel in town. We did not know this. They brought in their dogs. They reserved the conference room as a holding pen for their dogs. We didn't know it again as a church. They, the dogs tore up their, the hotel conference room. They used the conference room as their outdoor going to the bathroom room. Now, if I were to say their names, you, you, some of you would instantly know. And they left town, and the hotel called us as a church and said, what are you going to do about it? And so we as a church had to literally re-carpet and repaint their conference room. Why? Because we had to stay in the city, and we had to live with these people. But, but I'm just telling you, people are rude in the kingdom even. My wife gets her nails done. And the lady one day remarked to my wife as another woman came in to have her nails done. The tech, the nail tech said these words, that lady over there, she's a Bible thumper and she's rude to all my employees. I'm just about ready to tell her to find a new nail place to go to. Personally, I have gone to dinner through 30 years of ministry, embarrassed by Christians and how they treat the wait staff. I cannot tell you how many times I've opened up uh, tabs and looked and seen how much was being tipped and got into my pocket and peeled off some more money because that was just rude to do that to somebody who was waiting on them. Rude how we interact with people in all sorts of ways. You may be saved, and I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you're, you're a saved rude person. You're saved and rude. Now, the question is, does this even matter? Does it matter to Jesus? Is there anything spiritual about all of this? Yes, yes. Why are we rude? Well, to be candid, I'm not even sure our culture perceives this as an issue. But it's interesting how the paper felt it was an issue and people generally could care less. And the reason they generally could care less is because, you know, the nature of sin is selfishness. That's the irreducible residue of sin. Sin is self-consumption. I want what I want. It's all about me. I'm the center of the universe. And therefore, it doesn't matter what others think as long as I'm getting my way. And the Bible clearly addresses that. In fact, it addresses it most clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It says these words. I don't know if we have it, guys, on the screen. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, love does not behave what? Love does not behave rudely. And it does not seek its own. Now, there's a whole lot that could be said concerning love, but one of its attributes, if you say you love God, if you say you love others, if you say the love of God is in you, I've had people oftentimes look at me and, and, and say, you know, this or that about love. Listen, love is not rude. And I believe manners are a reflection of the heart. I mean, I know we all stumble. I know we forget to say please. We forget to say thank you. Understand, I understand all of us slip up sometimes, somewhere. 
with our overall manners, but chronic rudeness says something, I would think, about a person's heart. I've heard on occasion it is said that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. I've heard that, said it myself even. Well, I believe that's probably true. Because if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then I think his gentlemanliness or his womanliness or his mannerliness would manifest in your life on a regular, routine basis. If manners are linked to the heart, then it can tell us some things, I think, about a person's heart. Matthew 12, 34. Read this, Matthew 12, 34. Can we get that? He says, he says, Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Next verse. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. So for instance, if you have a hard time saying please or thank you, could it be that you have a heart that's full of entitlement or pride? Have you ever thought about that? Why is it hard to say please? Why is it hard to say thank you? Why is it difficult for us to say just out of respect, looking at someone, Mr. Mr. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Dr. Jones, Pastor Jones, Reverend Jones, Officer Jones, Sir, Ma'am, could it be that you have a heart that reviles authority or is full of disrespect? Why is that? Why is that? Why is if you can't wait at the table or say grace? Why is it that you have to talk with your mouth full or you're tardy? Could it be you just expect the universe to revolve around you? I'm just asking the question because perhaps our rudeness reflects something that's going on in our heart. Now, I realize, you know, we're not talking about the glory of God covering the earth. We're not talking about the move of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about the body count of people who've been slain in the Spirit. We're just talking about practical Christianity. Can you just be nice? Because people don't care how many visions you have if you can't say thank you. People don't care how good of a prophecy you may give if you can't say please. Are you following me? There, sometimes people can't get beyond just the natural way we, we live and exist. And that is the greatest testimony we could ever give. You see, for Jesus in our text, I think that's one of the points he's trying to bring forth. Rude may be an indicator of the heart. And our inability to see it may be an indicator of where our gaze ultimately is. So how do we regain graciousness? This is the question. How do we regain our graciousness? I started to think about this. I thought that the Bible says that Jesus was a friend to sinners. He was a friend to sinners. What does that mean? Does it mean he partied with them? Oh, you're popping some tall ones. Well, let me just shovel a few down with you here. Yeah. Nothing, nothing like a cold brewski with, with the boys. Is that what it meant? He was a friend to sinners, the Bible says. Did it mean that he acted like them? Did it mean when he was walking along with them and some pretty young thing came by, he put his fingers in his mouth and goes, Ooh, guys, you check that out. Woo! 
Is that what it means? Did it mean that he endorsed their sin or whatever activity they were doing? Jesus, it says, was a friend of sinners. Does it mean that he never spoke the truth or he, or he challenged them in their living or their ways of living? Well, we know that he did. We know that Jesus didn't do the things that I just mentioned to you. And yet the Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. i tell you what I think that means. I think it means that he was gracious. I think it means that he didn't trivialize their sin. I think it means that that he didn't endorse them or enable them, but but I think that he respected them, respected maybe their their personhood. Now, what does that look like? I, I just ask myself real practical questions because this all sounds good, but how does that work out in everyday life? What does it look like? Well, let me give you just some suggestions as they've been birthed in my life. You know, we all have neighbors, don't we? I live in a neighborhood. And it's a middle-class neighborhood, and we have nice neighbors, ostensibly. But even in our neighborhood, some of the neighbors are easy to like, and some of them are challenging to like. Some do things that are really neat and neighborly, and others do things that we hate, and they annoy us. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Everybody in my neighborhood is a sinner. Everybody in your neighborhood is a sinner. Romans 3, 23, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? So there's no surprise. There got sinners all up and down our street. Oh my. That's why you lock your doors. Sure. You lock your doors and I lock my doors because while we love our neighbors, we don't trust the carnal heart. So there's no surprise on this, on this basis. But listen to me when I say this to you. It costs me nothing to be gracious to my Buddhist neighbor. Who even though I think they are wrong and I think they need Jesus. And I'm going to do my best to communicate somehow the gospel to them. At some way, somehow, sometime. It costs me nothing just to be gracious to them. It costs me nothing to be gracious to my Muslim neighbor. The same thing goes to them. It costs me nothing to be gracious to the people just down the street that are living together. They're shacking up. I don't don't get this anymore. I mean, ladies, let me help you. I think you're the ones I need to talk to. If the guy won't seal the deal at the courthouse, don't seal the deal. But I can be gracious. I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. There's a gay couple down the street. I don't believe homosexuality is God's design. I believe there'll be repercussions for that behavior as there is for all sinful behavior. But you know what? I can be gracious because when they get yard of the month, I can say congratulations. Or the guy just down the road, he, he claims he's a Christian Hindu. I just said, I don't know what you call, I call that confused. (laughs) Talk about double-minded. I can be gracious. I don't agree with him at all. I think he needs the gospel. He needs truth. But that doesn't mean I can't be gracious to him. Or the Chinese neighbor. Who did better this year in mowing their lawn? The couple who has six cars... 
and four motorcycles. And I don't know where they are going to put them all. Or the guy who lets his dog drop a present in my yard every day. The neighbor who refuses to comply with the covenants of the neighborhood. Do they annoy me? Incredibly. But it costs me nothing to be gracious to people. There are tangible ways we can simply be gracious and be mannerly and say hello. How you doing? Nice yard. (laughs) Can we pick up the doo-doo? You can be gracious in all of these things. Now, Having said that, these are that, that's what I'm talking about, being gracious. Just going through life, it costs you nothing to look at a waiter or a waitress and just say, could I please have some more water? And they get it for you and you say, thank you. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost you anything at the store to be able to say, pardon me to the guy that works there. Could you help me find something? Thank you. For doing that doesn't cost you anything. Do you understand in, in, in our uncivil society today, if you and I just stepped up as believers and practiced manners birthed out of a heart of love and care towards people, we would probably, we probably, people would stumble into the kingdom just through thank yous and being gracious. Doesn't mean we agree with everything. Listen to me. There's a lot of things I don't agree with. There's a lot of things that I'll, I'll, I'll go toe-to-toe with culturally and say, it's got to change, it needs to change, it's destroying our nation. And you know me, Pastor Baird can be pretty tough on these things, but it doesn't mean we can't be gracious. You say, well, is there some other ways that we can be a solution? What are some things we can do? I'm going to give you three quick things. You might want to write these down, and you may even get out of here early, just like the sign said earlier, so you can be thankful. Amen. Amen. Can I get an amen if pastor shuts down early? Yeah, I knew that would encourage you. Some ways we can be a solution to all of this. Number one, we got to train a generation in manners. Now, listen to me. If you're a parent today, this this obviously uh, applies most immediately and directly to you. If you're a grandparent, you can help in that process. If you don't have any kids around you, you can still probably help model these things. But we need to do everything we can do to help pass along to the next generation. And and that pastor's wife had a point. If we believe our kids are going to do great things, then we better teach them how to function in those arenas. Because if you don't teach them... Not only to read and to write, not only to know their math, and not only whatever skill they need in their area, but you teach them no civility and manners and decorum. You know, they're going to walk into some job interview sometime wearing, you know, their, their, their sweatpants and their pullover hoodie, and they're going to be looking for some six-digit job, and the guy's going to look at them and laugh because you never taught them that a tie gets you hired. You say, well, that's not how it works anymore. You just wait. You just wait and see. I've had people say, I want to work at the church. Well, I guarantee you, it would make a difference to me how people present themselves. What that says to me is, do you respect me or not? Do you respect what you're wanting to do? That's what it says to me. 
So we've got to learn how to pass these things along. So we need to help train our children. And again, you don't, you know, I understand that that as you're training them, you have to work with them. Not everything is a spankable offense, but you've got to be diligent in this regard. So train kids to say please and thank you. Don't let them get by. If they won't say please or thank you, then stand there for a century. Let them say it. If they don't say it now and and they don't learn it later, you're going to find out they'll lose promotions. They'll lose options, possibilities. You can blow it off. But you watch. Don't let them get by. Don't let them get by with saying they're sorry too, by the way. I'm sorry. That's, those are, the, those are the, the lost words of our culture. I'm sorry. Train them to wait if adults are speaking and not interrupt. I remember I couldn't bounce in a room with my folks and, and they were in a conversation with adults and me just start talking. Oh, Lordy, you did not do that. You know why? It's because they're not our peers. I understand they're people. They're four-year-old people. This is 40-year-old people. We are not equal. This is revelation. It's being loosed right now. Train them. Train them that there are places to use their quiet voices, their play voices, and no voices. Train them to address adults as adults and not their peers. We've worked for years on this. And I remember even in the early days of Legacy when we were going through this. And many of you remember uh, Pastor Bob Barnett. And everybody, you know, the young people were just used to doing it. And it took a while to get them shifted and trained in this thing. Because they would, they would just walk in and say, hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. And I don't know if it bugged Bob or not, but it bugged me. Because you know what? You aren't his peer. You are pa- he's Pastor Bob to you. Just like you don't send your kids to school, and if they're, you know, if Miss, uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Folsom is their teacher, Cindy Folsom, you know, a whole group of first graders don't walk in the first day of school and go, hey, Cindy, I guarantee you, I don't know what she does, but I'll bet it doesn't float in the Folsom first grade classroom. <laughs> Why is that? Because, because this, this is not, first grade is not a mutual sharing experience. That we're all going to learn together here. So we're kind of all sort of equal. Well, you know what? Society is not equal. Do you understand that, that I, I, I'll never, I tell the custodian story. I'm not going into it all. But I was a custodian for years at an uh, uh, elementary school. And I had more education than every teacher, including the principal in that school. Um, you know, I knew three four languages. I mean, I could go down the list as to why they weren't even in my league. But do you understand that, that, that even through my job description, I was not equal. So what did I do? I called my principal, Mr. Roberts. I called teachers as I would go from room to room to room, miss so-and-so. I did it. Number one is, is because it was respect that was due them. Number two is it modeled things before the kids and reaffirmed things in the kids that needed to be reaffirmed. And it was a reminder to me that I'm not the center of the universe. Now, it wasn't because they needed it. In fact, I had some teachers say to me, oh, you don't have to do that. And I realized I didn't have to do it. But it's really not so much for you as much as it is for me. 
Because it reminds me of certain things. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So train your kids to address adults as adults, not just at school, but in life. Do you realize to this day, I'll just say this to this day. I can't, I can't call Miss Louise anything but Miss Louise. I thought about that the other day. I came to the funeral, Miss Louise, and I thought, okay, we're fixing to do a funeral here. And I was going to mention you. And I think the first time I did it, I, I said Louise. And it was just like at that moment, it was like I was convicted. Now, why is that? It's because I can't. Miss Louise has been walking with Jesus for decades. Longer than me, I suspect. Now, granted, I'm her pastor, and I appreciate she calls me pastor, too. I appreciate that. But, but here's the deal. I, can't, I, can't say, I couldn't say it. I had to say Miss Louise. Why? Because it, it's, a, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of respect. It's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. See, you don't have to hang around people very long before you can figure out where the heart is. You just have to listen to what comes out. People often say, They'll say this, well, that wasn't my heart. You know, so they'll do something, and then they'll say, well, that wasn't my heart. That wasn't my heart. Well, then why did you say it? Because out of the abundance of the heart, see, the mouth speaks. So we got to teach them. Teach them table manners. Teach them to wait until everybody comes and sits down. Teach them decorum. Teach them protocol. Teach them etiquette. Listen, the only thing the school's going to teach them is how to have safe sex. That's it. And they ought not be teaching them that. So if you're expecting them to teach yes or no, ma'am, if you're expecting them to teach decorum, listen, they're teaching them how to have safe sex. They need to be teaching men, young men, how to treat young ladies. And one of the ways you treat them is you don't jump on them the second date. But that's what our school, see our school system. I'm going to, hey, this isn't on my notes. We may go a little longer here. school system thinks our kids are barnyard animals. They can't help but mate. And we cannot play into that philosophy that they're just kids. They, you can't expect much from them. Who says? Who says? Jesus at 13 was instructing the religious leaders of his day. Come on, quit using the prodigal as your model and start using Jesus as your model. Amen. The prodigal is there to give you hope. Jesus is there to give you direction. So listen, simple manners will position our kids for success. It'll position you for success too. Number two, after we train a generation, we need to purpose to practice graciousness. That's what this is all about. Let's just purpose to be grateful, to be kind. Maybe it's a good reminder for all of us to step up our manners and step up our graciousness. We're being copied, you know, we're being emulated, we're being watched. Even in church life, I, I started to think about this and I'm beginning to revamp some things uh, with regards to our ushers and just some ways that we need to do this. It's not anybody's fault. If it's anybody's fault, it's my fault. But, but we're going to figure out what we can do to, to help uh, uptick sort of our sensitivity to graciousness and manners. And so we're going to work some in this area, but You've got to go back. Think about what grandma taught you. Think about what mom and dad taught you. Think about manners. If you don't know, that's why there's an internet. You can Google anything these days and it'll tell you exactly what, what manners need to be demonstrated in particular areas. If you just learn thank you and please and just be deferring 
uh, just, just to people. You would be amazed at where that would take you. And then finally, I'm going to leave it at this. We just refuse to enable rude. Refuse to enable the rude. Now, nobody has been elected the man or sheriff. Maybe we need one. I don't know. I've decided that it's, that it's, that it's difficult to, to monitor manners, but at the same time, you don't have to enable rudeness. People are rude to me, chronically rude to me. I, I'm not under any obligation to keep taking that disrespect. I mean, if somebody's chronically rude to you, I'm not talking about ignorant or naive. I'm just chronically just being rude to you. Then I, I, I think you have an ability to look someone in the eye and go, I think you're rude. I think you're rude. And if they go, oh, well, that wasn't my heart. Well, then, then you got to check your heart, dude. Because, because something's wrong with what all is being manifested here. Now, it doesn't happen first interaction, but I'm just saying after... After chronic interaction, there comes a moment I think you could probably look at someone and say, God, that seems rude. I think culturally, I started thinking about this culturally. You know, there are businesses, and we're getting into that time of year again, that season, you know, businesses that disrespect my faith. And they refuse to acknowledge a simple Merry Christmas. You know, we're so busy trying to bend over backwards so a Muslim doesn't get offended that we've offended the millions of Christians that are in our culture. Now, again, I, 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 I have Muslim neighbors, Hindu neighbors. They, they, you know, actually, I think if I'm not mistaken, honey, I think they bring us over. They brought us over presents and we've taken them things. And I, I mean, it's just graciousness. It doesn't mean that I'm becoming a Muslim or they're becoming Christian. I've got my truth system and I'm convinced it's real and I'm going to do my best to, to somehow, some way, find opportunity to bring them to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking Merry Christmas out of my yard because I've got a Muslim neighbor. Deal with it. I dealt with all your Halloween stuff. You deal with my Merry Christmas. You deal with my cross. You deal with the whole deal. Amen. Now, I just, I started thinking about this and I told my wife this year, we've never done this before, but we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to do our best to be consistent at it. Might not be able to be totally consistent at it. So I'll just fess up first thing. But I've just decided this year that businesses that can't just say Merry Christmas to me are no longer going to get my Christian dollars. I've just decided that's for me. They're not going to get my Christian dollars anymore. Now, I, now maybe, maybe I, maybe there's some that I'll have to go to, and I just, it just, I have to. But you see, this season that we're living in is not a giant holiday. And, and with all due respect to my, my Jewish friends, we, we aren't doing this holiday because of Hanukkah. We're not doing this holiday because of Kwanzaa. And we're not doing this holiday because of, of Ramadan. The reason we have the holiday we have at this time of year is because of Christmas. 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 So I'm going to be gracious to everyone. And when little cashiers look at me because their bosses and their companies are saying happy holidays, they're going to hear from me, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And I don't know, it might just hit me in a gracious way. I might look at one and say, is this what you're told to say? 
Because it's not usually their fault, remember. So don't blast a cashier. It's not usually their fault. In fact, sometimes it's not even the manager's fault. Sometimes they're dealing with corporate somewhere, somewhere out there that's disconnected with reality. But I don't know. I might even say, is this, is this like company policy, store policy, or what's the deal? And you know what? I don't know that this year might not be the year. I smile and say, you know what? It'd go a lot farther with me if you'd say Merry Christmas. And they're going to say, well, we got to respect everyone. Really? you got to respect everyone. So they can't, you can't say if someone comes out and say, well, I'm Jewish. And then you just switch it and say, oh, well, instead of Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Our culture's nuts. But it isn't going to change until we do some gracious things to challenge that. So I want to encourage you. You encourage maybe some of your Christian friends. And again, we're not, don't do this bad spirit. Don't do it. If you're going to do it in a bad spirit, just don't do it. But maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year when we go out and do our shopping and we know that there are certain places that, that do their best to avoid just a simple Merry Christmas and to say, that's your choice. It's America and God bless America. But I have a choice as to where I'm going to spend my Christian dollars. I'm going to affirm people that'll say Merry Christmas. I mean, I'm just, that's where I am. I never thought I would get to this place, but that's kind of where I am. It's meth mannerly. I, I, I'm going to be great. I'm gracious to everyone I come in contact with. It's time to be gracious back as well. Refuse to enable the rude. If you find yourself in situations that you know are chronically rude, I'm just refuse to enable it. You may need to disconnect from some rude situations. But graciousness, manners, thank you, please. I think there's a spiritual dimension to all of this. You know what I think is most comical standing here in front of you? Is that the minute I say amen and you're released, is to watch how mannerly you all will be in the next 30 minutes. Oh, it'll be funny. You watch. There'll be people run to that door. Hold that door open right there. You watch all the men go to the other side of the car and hold that door open for their wives. You watch. You watch. The key isn't what happens 30 minutes after this message is over. The key is, for some of you, what happens 30 years after this message is over. <laughs> Maybe 30 days after this message is over. We're in God's house. He deserves our respect, doesn't he? I realize it's a mall. I realize when we leave here, it's going to, who knows what it turns back into. Hopefully something good. I'd hate to think there wasn't enough residual anointing left over that some bar comes in here. I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that even if something like that came in here, it wouldn't function because there's too much anointing that just was left from the people of God. But for now, it's our house. It's the house of God. And it's our opportunity. It's our opportunity to be grateful and say thanks to God. Amen. Stand with me, will you?